you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, if you're unfamiliar, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. And when you find the book of Acts, we'll find chapter 4. As I mentioned earlier, we're beginning a little series, a new series today. It's a new year. It's a 2017. It's time to think about some new things. Uh, a new series called Needed News. Let me ask you, have you ever needed some good news? Have you ever come to a place in your life where a little needed news would have made all the difference? There's lots of moments that we face where a little good news can do a whole lot of good. I know I was thinking about this back in November. I was attending the Kentucky Baptist Convention Pastors Conference in Northern Kentucky, and during the Pastors Conference, there was a speaker that was giving kind of an encouraging word to pastors and encouraging word to those in ministry, and he suggested that we all create a little folder in our email box called the encouragement folder. Now, I've already mentioned in my email box, there's a couple messages I don't delete, but one for my son and one for my wife. But he was making reference to messages you might get from church members or from community members or from folks maybe that you haven't heard from quite some time. To have a little folder, a little spot where you tuck them in, because when days get rough, when conflict comes, when you have someone that has disappointed you, or possibly you have disappointed someone else, you can go in that little folder and read those little notes of encouragement. They're probably some much-needed news. Well, when I got home from that conference, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create me one of those little encouragement folders. And it sat empty for actually about five or six weeks, almost two months. And then I got one over Christmas break that made me smile. This message came from our IT lady. Now, anytime you get encouragement from IT, information technology, it's a miracle of God. If any of you work in IT, they're not the most pleasant people to be around. Uh, they have to deal with everybody's computer problems. They have to deal with everybody's technical problems, phone problems, internet problems, connectivity problems. My brother actually works for a school district as an IT guy. He's a miserable human being. I'm joking, only slightly, only slightly. He, People bug him a lot, they call him a lot, they nag him a lot, and normally when he comes into the classroom, comes into the office, all he has to do is turn the computer off and turn it back on, and it works fine. So IT people aren't the most... If, I may have just offended a few people in the house. I don't know. Any IT representatives? I'm safe. Okay, good. This came from IT from a lady named Debbie, Miss Debbie Murray, who both of her sons have been students of mine, Brandon and Devin. She wrote this, Dr. G, 
I wanted to take a minute out of my day to simply say thank you for all you do for CU students and others. As a mother, I can't say, I can't express enough what it means to me to see a professor who takes time to actually care for their students enough to mentor and guide them. My sons have been truly blessed by your friendship and guidance. It's folks like you that add value to the Campbellsville University experience. Your love and giving spirit is a gift for which I am daily grateful. I hope your day is a blessed one. I promise you, my day got better. Getting that little note of encouragement. Sometimes it just takes a little encouragement, a little needed news. Because encouragement is something we all can give. And encouragement is something we all desperately need. If you agree with that, say amen. Encouragement is something we all can give. Encouragement is something everyone in this room can do. There's no special training, no special talent, no special preparation in order to be an encourager. Everyone in this room, young and old, every man, every woman, every student, every teenager, everyone can be an encourager. An encourager. And being an encourager is desperately needed in our world. Because all of us face discouragement. Some folks, even in this congregation this week, probably have got some news. Got a call. Found out a little something. Saw something in the news. Saw something in the paper. Saw something at their business, their job. That caused them to be discouraged. But we as the body of Christ can be encouragements to one another. Amen? Because encouragement is something we all can give, and encouragement is something we all need. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about being an encourager. And there is a man in the Scripture who is specifically known as a son of encouragement. His name is Barnabas. Barnabas is the man we're going to focus on over the next few weeks, and basically we're just going to take his life as described in Scripture each time he's mentioned, and we're going to look at the situation that surrounded him at that point. The interesting thing that we're going to find over four or five weeks is that every opportunity the Scripture mentions Barnabas, with the exception of one account, he's always about encouragement. He's always about bringing people up, lifting people up, helping people out. And I think it's a good model for us to follow. Well, to give you a little orientation to Barnabas, we find his first introduction in the book of Acts chapter 4. And we know from this introduction that he's not originally from Jerusalem. He's not even from Judea. Let's read about this man in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. And then we'll talk about it together. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, 
For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Verse 36. This is Barnabas's introduction. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's stop there for a moment. Verse 36 tells us about a man named Joseph. Joseph was his given name. And it's interesting that he is from the country of where? Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is an island out in the Mediterranean Ocean. It's not connected by land. It's a complete segmented island that would be on the coast of Lebanon or Syria, if you're familiar with that geographic region. Somehow, someway, Barnabas, or what is given name, Joseph, found his way off the island and came to the Jerusalem church. Now, the scripture tells us that he was a Levite. Now, that tells us that he had a function as a priest. But it doesn't necessarily mean he was a pastor or a minister. What it simply means is, at times, he would have to perform certain duties because of his faith as a Jewish man. He comes from Cyprus, he has a job, but we have no way of knowing how he even got there. But he got there. And in this church, he starts interacting with people like the Apostle Paul, or excuse me, the Apostle Peter. He meets Paul next week. He interacts with John and with James, and he sees the miracles that's going on in this early New Testament church. He's observing the apostles' teaching. He didn't walk with Jesus. He ne probably never saw Jesus. He's listening to the men who did see Jesus and knew him. The scripture will tell us that in Acts chapter 2, that this congregation, they would meet together every single day, sometimes in the temple and sometimes in people's homes. And they would break bread or have communion every day. And they would preach and teach and observe and they would witness and sometimes they would even go through the fiercest persecution. Barnabas probably will know some of those that are going to be martyred, like Stephen. He's probably going to know some of those that are going to be executed, like James the Apostle. He's right there in the front row of the New Testament beginnings, but he's a normal guy. If Barnabas was in our church, you wouldn't have thought much about him. He wouldn't be on this platform. He wouldn't be at any of these instruments. He wouldn't be running at the deacon board or the committee on the cemetery or the finances. If Barnabas was in this church, you wouldn't even pay attention to him because he was just a normal guy who wasn't even from that county, not even from that region, not even from that town not even one of the followers of Jesus originally. He's a guy from Cyprus. He's a guy who just found his way here. But the one thing they know about him, the one thing that is his defining characteristic, it's the thing that they give him a nickname about. 
is that he is a son of encouragement. Barnabas was a son of encouragement. I'd like to give you the whole sermon in a sentence, and then we're going to break it apart one piece at a time. Here's the sermon in a sentence. A son of encouragement in an encouraged church gave an encouraging gift. Could y'all say that with me? Ready? A son of encouragement in an encouraged church gave an encouraging gift. Barnabas was a son of encouragement. It's his nickname. Now, I've been thinking about nicknames. Do any of you have a nickname? Do any of you have a nickname you want others to not know about? You got a nickname? What's your nickname? You don't want us to know. I never grew up with a nickname. Now, my father was in town this weekend, and he'll call me something I don't like. He calls me something he's called me since I was a little boy. Shaney Baney. Parents, why do we torture our children with things like this? It's a nickname I don't really care for. When I got to college, I picked up a little different nickname. Some of my college buddies would call me Shano. Kind of a nickname. My students actually sometimes refer to me as G-Train because I walk fast and I talk a little fast and they often refer to me as getting on the G-Train and it can be a bumpy, bumpy ride. But nicknames aren't something we always like to hear. Honestly, when my father refers to that nickname, I don't care for it. Uh, When my college friends use that name, I didn't really care for it. Actually, I kind of like my students calling me G-Train. I I do. It it feels like I'm a, a cool guy, you know, relating to the young people. But Barnabas's nickname, or Joseph's nickname, is Barnabas. And it's spelling out his character. It's not just some little attachment to his first name. If it was that, his name would have been, nickname would have been Jojo, Joey, J-Rock. But no, it's not about a nickname his friends give him. It's his defining characteristic. Now think about this, men and women, brothers and sisters. What if your Christian nickname was the defining characteristic of your spiritual life? What if everyone here knew you not by your given name, but everyone here called you your spiritual nickname, and it was the most defining characteristic others observed in you? What would your nickname be? Would it be son of service? Daughter of grace? Son of humility, daughter of mercy? Or would your defining nickname be the son of complaining, the daughter of gossip, the son of bickering, the daughter of backstabbing? What is the defining spiritual characteristic that models your life? And what if that's what we called you? What if that's what we knew you by? What if your defining characteristic is what everyone here called you whenever you walked in the door? It's an 
absolute example to all of us that the name they give Barnabas or Joseph is that he is the son of encouragement because I believe, and I think the scripture bears out, the one defining characteristic that never went away from his life was that Joseph encouraged other people. How many of you want to be a Joseph? How many of you want to be a Barnabas? An encourager an encouraging person, a son of encouragement, a daughter of encouragement, because you can be. Any of us can be a son or daughter of encouragement. It takes us just to have eyes that are open, ears that hear, and a heart that will respond. There are many in this room that need a little encouragement. And it's our job to lift them up. You see, Barnabas was a son of encouragement. And he was in an encouraged church. This New Testament church that's described here is one that probably looks a little different than what we're used to. Let's look back at verse 32. Let's get a full sense of what's going on in this encouraged church. The Scripture tells us now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Think of this, verse 34. There was not one needy person among any of them For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. And they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any as had need. This church had a very different kind of feel. It's an encouraged church. They're they're unified in one heart and one soul. That means they're unified as a body of believers. They don't argue. They don't fuss. They don't bicker with one another. They're unified. They're together in the mission and the vision. They're probably also unified in the fact that they recognize they are all they got. Everybody around them views them as a sect outside of a sect. The Romans want to persecute them. The Jews want to persecute them. Everybody looks at them as some sort of oddball group. And so they're united together because they got one heart, one soul, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to proclaim this testimony of the resurrection. But it even goes a little further than just being united and understanding the testimony of Jesus. They're willing to sell stuff in order to provide for each other. They're willing to give up lands and properties. They're willing to give up homes. Because if anybody has a need, it's not their responsibility to solve their problems. It's our responsibility to come together, help them out. This is a very different kind of place. It's a place that feels different. It it sounds odd to us in the American context. Frankly, a church like this wouldn't work in America because we believe a little bit in individualism. We believe in picking our own self up by our bootstraps, that if you got yourself in success or you got yourself in failure, it's your job. You did it. You're responsible. That's the American mindset. 
this place, this church, this group of brothers and sisters just were willing to do whatever it took to help one another out. Now, I find that this is an encouraged church. And you know what? I think Younger's Creek is an encouraged church. Would you agree? Generally speaking, we're of one heart, one soul, one mind. I was at a business meeting Wednesday night. There wasn't a bicker. There wasn't a fuss. There wasn't a stomped foot or rolled eyes or puffed up attitude. Actually, it lasted like 15 minutes flat. Charlie was our moderator. He runs a tight ship. We're moving on. We're moving on. But you know, I've been in some churches that weren't an encouraged church. And if I've learned a little bit of your history, I know at one time this was not an encouraged church. I've been in some places where business meetings were war zones. And Sunday morning, people wouldn't sit on certain sides of the aisle because that person was over there and I'm staying over here. I've been in some places, friends, where you walked into the building and it felt like a funeral. Because honestly, the Spirit of God had left a long time ago, and all that remained was a bunch of wounded, broken, hurting people. This is what I want to encourage you, friends. What you have right now is a good thing. What you're experiencing right now is a sweet spot. And you do whatever you have to to keep it. You fight for unity at all cost. You fight for unity no matter what it takes. If it means apologizing, you apologize. If it means holding your tongue, stick your tongue in the back of your throat and shut your mouth. If it means not writing that letter or not saying what's on your mind first glance, you do whatever you can and whatever is possible to keep an encouraged church an encouraged church. Because you know what's going to happen. An encouraged church draws people who are looking for an encourager, an encouragement. A broken church sends people running for the hills. You fight to keep it that way. You fight to keep it unified. You fight to keep it united. You fight to keep it peaceful and loving and gentle and Jesus-focused. Amen? You fight for it. And if you ever feel yourself stepping out of line, if you ever feel yourself wanting to be the root of discouragement, please, please go to Jesus and ask Him to change your heart. Because a church that's an encouraged church will reach discouraged people and point them to Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be about. This was an encouraging church. Barnabas was an encouraging man. A son of encouragement in an encouraged church gave an encouraging gift. Let's, let's look at verse 36 and 37 as we close. We've already learned a little bit about this man's name, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. What on earth did he do? What did this normal guy, this normal man, this immigrant, this transplant, 
What did he do? Well, the church was doing something, and he saw it modeled. There were people in the church selling property and selling homes, and apparently Barnabas had a field. And he sold that field, the Bible says. And he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, I've been thinking about that verse 37 for about three or four weeks. And you know the thought that keeps coming to mind? Dirt is expensive. Can I get an amen? Any of you own some dirt? Maybe a dirt your home is on, or a field that you have ownership of, or a piece of property? Dirt's expensive. It was then as it is now. Dirt was not something you came by easily. And if you got a little piece of dirt, you do whatever you could to keep a piece of dirt, to protect that piece of dirt. Maybe to sell it one day or to pass it to your children or to live off of it. You, you, you kept that cherished thing because it was highly valuable. A piece of dirt is expensive. Right next door to our house is an empty lot. And the owner of that empty lot came and visited my wife a few weeks ago. He wanted to sell that piece of dirt. And it wasn't cheap. He's wanting to get rid of this piece of dirt, and he just thinks we're the perfect buyers. Because then we could have a bigger piece of dirt. But what he wants me to pay for that dirt is the most expensive dirt I can find. Pricey dirt. Barnabas had a piece of land. And he does something that seems so, so spectacular. He just sells it. And whatever the proceeds were, whatever the profit was, whatever he earned on it, he brought it and he gave it to this encouraged church to be used for kingdom business. I think, I think there's two lessons here. One is that sometimes the Lord will nudge you to do something that you didn't anticipate him nudging you to do. I don't think Barnabas at any point in his life thought, I'm moving from Cyprus to Jerusalem to be a part of church. I'm going to get me some dirt. I'm going to have some dirt. I'm going to try to survive with whatever. But I feel this nudge to give this piece of dirt up and it's going to go to other people in the church, people that maybe don't even work, and my piece of dirt's going to be sold, and I'm going to give it away, and it's going to be what God called me to do. I don't think that was in the mind of Barnabas. But God started putting that little nugget of opportunity in his heart. And he does it. Let me tell you, friends, if God is leading you to do something, to contribute to something, to step out of your box and follow a nudging of the Lord, let me tell you, friends, God is not going to make you do it. He's not going to force you to do it. Our God is a God of freedom and a God of free choice. He might nudge you, but He's not going to make you. But you have an opportunity to obey freely that nudging, that impulse, that drawing of God. And let me tell you, friends, you can either reject it or obey it. You could either, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, you could either sell the field or keep the field. God doesn't care about the field. He owns the whole earth. But what He does care about 
Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to obey? You have sensed this nudging. You have felt this push. Are you willing to obey? Second lesson I take from this is that giving a gift might be the start of something you never could have imagined. Now, I get five or six more weeks to explain to you the life of Barnabas. But it's all going to start in verse 37 of Acts chapter 4. One gift, because he felt the leadership of the Lord to sell this field, begins something that's transformational in his life. Barnabas is not going to be the same person after this field is sold and this gift is given ever in his life. Eventually, he's going to be one of two missionaries sent to the ends of the earth at that time, along with Paul, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. It's just going to begin something that he could not have ever imagined. And sometimes a simple act of obedience, a simple step of saying yes, can be the beginning of a transformation in your life. God's not going to make you, but He's going to invite you to do something for Him. I've seen this time and time again with young people. Uh, Some friends of ours David and Sarah Pack are missionaries to Honduras. David was in my youth ministry a few years ago. And David went on a 10-day mission trip to Honduras as a high school student. That 10-day mission trip broke his heart for the people of Honduras. And when he got back, he decided he, he had a little job at a company after school, that he would self-support a Honduran pastor by giving the pastor's salary every month. It was $22 a month. So for a year, David gave $22 a month to support a Honduran pastor, much like supporting a child internationally. Well, that led him to going to university, uh, Northern Kentucky University. And one summer, he decided he'd go down there for the whole summer to see this pastor that he had been supporting. Well, that led him to think differently about his college plans. It eventually led him to spending a whole six months down there. They just got back from their second year, he and his wife, full-time missionaries now, to Honduras. It started out by saying yes to a 10-day trip overseas that has now led to something radically different in his life. Sometimes selling the field Obeying the nudge is the beginning of something God wants to do to transform your life. Friends, a son of encouragement in an encouraged church gave an encouraging gift. Are you a son or daughter of encouragement? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to keep this place an encouraged church? And are you feeling that nudge to give the encouraging gift? And would you obey? Let's pray together. Dear God, I pray right now for the man or woman that knows that they really need some encouragement. They feel weak, they feel tired, they feel worn. And I pray right now that there would just be someone with ears that could hear eyes that could see, a heart that would be ready to respond, that would just sense a brother or sister in pain 
and would go to them and encourage them. Pray for them. Lift them up. Speak words of hope to them. Help carry the burden. Father, I pray that you would make us a church that fights, fights no matter what, to be a place of encouragement. To be a place that draws those who are discouraged and points them to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Finally, Lord, I pray for the brother or sister, the man or woman right now that knows they have been nudged to do something, but they've chosen not to obey. It doesn't have to be financial. It doesn't have to be a piece of property. It can be anything that you've called us to. I pray that today they would say, enough's enough. I'm going to obey. They would just see your hand working. Father, for whatever you need to do in this place, whatever you need to do in this time, I invite you to do it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? The altar is open. I'm here. I'll be honored to pray with anyone. You come as God has led in this time. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come learn restless and all those who strain. Come sit at the table and come taste the grave. Come find your mercy, O oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. So lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Oh, wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart. Come as you are. I ask you to do something. If you're just facing a little discouraging time in your life, just some little rough patch, would, would you just be bold enough to raise your hand? If you're just fighting some things, battling some things, just for those of you, would you just look around, see those that are raising their hand? There's three or four folks just saying, just struggling. And I want you to take notice to a way that you can minister to them. Because everybody can be an encourager. And everybody needs encouragement. Amen? Amen. We're going to encourage one another as we dismiss this morning. And I think one way you can encourage somebody is by giving them a hug. Now some of you got the croup. Y'all don't give anybody the croup. 
cover up, cover up. But we can give each other some hugs because something about human touch makes you feel like life is going to be okay. So in just a minute when we dismiss, I want you to get a five-hug minimum. All right? Let's hope you had an announcement. Just yell it out.